On the 25th of October 2021, soldiers in Sudan arrested Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdouk. They announced the dissolution of the government and declared a state of emergency. As the news got out, protesters flooded Khartoum and other cities, demanding his release and a return to the power-sharing agreement between a civilian political alliance led by Abdullah Hamdouk and the military led by General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan. Despite gunfire and tear gas, a defiant civil disobedience campaign continued, chanting and marching against the military. Protests similar to just two years earlier, when former President Omar al-Bashir had been removed from power in the Sudanese revolution. The deadly crackdown on the mass rallies in the capital Khartoum killed at least 12 people. The move sparked a chorus of international condemnation and threats of punitive aid cuts, with world powers demanding a swift return to civilian rule. Sudan has enjoyed only rare democratic interludes and many military takeovers since independence in 1956 and spent decades riven by civil war. You are listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Ahmed Maher. And in this episode, we ask how Sudan's political tensions have escalated into a military coup. Before we start, please subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to get all the latest episodes. For weeks before the coup, the army and civilian politicians in Sudan were on a war footing. Both sides traded barbs publicly and blamed each other for the country's difficulties. The relationship between these unlikely bedfellows has been fractious and marred by mistrust since the removal of former President Omar al-Bashir in April 2019. Bashir came into power through a military coup himself in 1989 and ruled for three decades. After his removal, Civilian activists who had led the revolution and the military drafted a power-sharing agreement in which Sudan would transition to a democracy over a 39-month period ending in 2024. General al-Burhan would lead what they called the Sovereignty Council of five military generals, five civilians, and one mutually agreed civilian member for the first 21 months of the transition. Hamdouk would take over for the last 18. But just two years later, in September 2021, there was a failed coup. I was in Khartoum just after the attempt. Civilian politicians and locals told me that it was just a ruse orchestrated by some army generals to strengthen the hand. The people I spoke to believed it would be near impossible to rebuild trust in a country that has witnessed repeated military takeovers and failed attempts since its independence in 1956. Just a few weeks after the failed coup on the 25th of October, weeks short of the changeover in the Sovereign Council, the army actually seized power. It ousted Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdouk and declared a state of emergency. The military head, General al-Burhan, paid tribute to the civilian leader he removed from power 
saying he agreed with Mr. Hamdouk's initiatives on numerous occasions, but ultimately, the Prime Minister was unable to work freely as long as he was being politically held back. The General's main criticism was reserved for the forces of freedom of change. This is a group of allied politicians, civilians, and rebel groups that called for the removal of Omar al-Bashir in 2019. General al-Burhan has insisted the military takeover was not a coup. Instead, he said he wanted to rectify the course of the Sudanese transition. Protest leaders on the ground are not convinced and insist that the general wants to maintain the army's traditional control over Sudan. Real Muad is a Sudanese law student and one of the hundreds of thousands of protesters. She says it feels like the Sudanese people are going in circles with one coup after another. It's this uh, circle where we go out in a revolution and then the military decides to hijack <laughs> the voice of the people and, and, and take the, the power to itself. And then we go out in, a, in another revolution and then the, the military goes out and does this thing again. And this time is no exception for that. Although this time the only difference is that the model is different. The, the model, uh, the December Revolution uh, created was a model where the power is shared between civilians in addition to uh, the military itself. As some protesters insist that the army must hand over power to civilians and hold those behind the coup accountable, Muad says this is not a realistic solution to the current crisis. A compromise with the military. Because this is this is happening. I mean, is here. They are not going anywhere, and they have uh, interest in power. And uh, we just need to to find um, a compromise with them. They have the, the demands, or they have to uh, stop the um, the emergency state the country is in right now, declared by Quran. They have to uh, they have to release all the political uh, detainees. They have to give the whole power to the civilian uh, civilian leadership. In my opinion, that uh, what what needs to happen is we have to go back to the constitutional document and the Jupa Peace Agreement, reinitiate uh, the conversations again between all uh, stakeholders, so we can find a compromise where the public is happy and the situation is finally stabilized again to go on with the transitional period. As we mentioned already. Abdullah Hamdouk was appointed in 2019 in a power-sharing agreement between the army and a revolutionary alliance of dozens of parties. As well as being the prime minister of the civilian cabinet, he sat on the Joint Civilian-Military Sovereignty Council. Since then, politicians in the alliance have locked horns over several decisions Hamdouk has made. It was Hamdouk who pushed for the compromise model of power sharing with the army generals. This alliance is representative of Sudan's diversity. It is one of the most diverse countries in Africa, with over a hundred different ethnic groups and languages, groups that also have a diverse set of interests and priorities. But one thing that brought consensus was having a civilian government. Jonas Horner, the deputy director for the Horn of Africa and senior analyst for Sudan for the International Crisis Group, 
could sense the frustration of the protesters on the streets. The military does appear to have been taken back by the, the, the strength and forcefulness of protesters who came onto the streets in response to this coup. Uh, they have also been confounded, as they were during the revolution, by the staunchly nonviolent approach that protesters have taken. And w- watching uh, video and, and footage of the way that protesters have confronted the military uh, in the last week has been uh, quite something to see. You will see particularly young men walking in a line simply straight towards lines of, uh, of technicals, which are uh, pickup trucks with, with anti-aircraft um, guns on the back. And often those anti-aircraft guns and other small arms fire will shoot right back into these crowds. But it shows a level of uh, strength and certainty and, and insistence that is coming from the streets. Horner appointed some of the blame to another faction, the loyalists of the ousted regime of al-Bashir. There has also been significant foot dragging from the military and from Islamists um, who are formerly of the, of the Bashir regime. They have blocked uh, key reforms. They have sabotaged the economy in many ways and made life very difficult. Um, you know, the key job for the civilians during this period was to be able to illustrate to the Sudanese population that they could indeed respond to the needs of the Sudanese, to show that a civilian dispensation could indeed do this. Omar al-Bashir had been in power for 30 years, and therefore, you know, you'd have to be you know, 45 or 50 to remember anything prior to Bashir. So in this period, the, the transitional government had uh, struggled really in, in being able to get traction. However, in recent months, there had been an improvement in, in the economy. The economy really is at the heart of Sudan's transition. The state of the economy and how it has been handled is crucial to understanding Sudan. The alliance is split on the way Abdullah Hamdouk has handled the economic reforms. Until he was removed by the military, Mr. Hamdouk ran the country's transition as a former World Bank economist, laser-focused on repairing the ties to international bodies that can help bail the country out, pushing through deep reforms he hoped would solve the country's financial woes. The impact of these reforms on the 44 million people already squeezed by years of sanctions and neglect and a deep financial crisis, as well as the COVID-19 pandemic, was painful. Sudan's economy is probably the most important component of of this transition. If Sudan does not get on top of its economic problems, probably very little uh, else matters, and a lot of the political uh, wrangling will, will itself be subsumed by the weight of political of economic collapse. Sudan has been treated as a pariah state for you know the last 25 or so years, the, the last period of Omar al-Bashir's reign, which saw him, because of his uh, the way he prosecuted conflicts in Darfur, in South Sudan, Sudan became isolated and, and, and was removed from international markets, from international uh, monetary systems. And as a result, Sudan was unable to attract foreign direct investment and, and, and meant much of the country's infrastructure has crumbled and, and failed in some cases. Before Hamdouk's removal, hundreds of protesters took to the streets and staged a sit-in outside the presidential palace. They demanded Hamdouk's government be sacked, chanting, down with the government of hunger. The local currency has become all but worthless, and ordinary Sudanese are left waiting hours each day to buy bread and fuel. The pro-military sit-in was backed by key political figures in Mr. Hamdouk's cabinet, 
including his finance and economic planning minister, Gabriel Ibrahim Muhammad. Hussam al-Din al-Nasri, a Khartoum-based strategist and economist, says the austerity measures came too hard too soon, but that Hamdouk had no other option. I don't think we were left with a lot of room for bargaining, to be honest. We were put in a situation where we will have to accept these terms. I know other countries have gone through economic reforms, but I guess they were in a much better position to bargain. If we were given the choice, we would have spread this over, over three, four years. But we had to do it in few months, which I don't think this, I don't think, you know, historically this ever happened to any other country, that they were forced to do all of this in this very short time. We were very dependent on subsidies. All of these were lifted in a very short time. And we had, like, our banks were empty of foreign currency. And the country was going into full uh, paralysis because of that. And something needed to be done, unfortunately. Within the civilian alliance, there were sharp divisions. In September, 20 political parties banded together to criticize the civilian alliance for what they called hijacking the revolution and mismanagement of the transitional period. They accused other parties within the alliance of antagonizing the army since the power-sharing negotiations have been fraught with difficulties and problems from the very start. Politics and economics go hand in hand, and the economic reforms demanded by the international financial institutions came at the expense of the overwhelming majority of the population. Inflation rates shot up to nearly 350%, and there are shortages of electricity, medicines, and bread. Jonas Horner thinks Sudan has huge potential to grow economically, despite their political woes. The key to reviving the economy really is opening up the country to bringing in foreign direct investment. Sudan has a, you know, a range of, of real uh, economic opportunities. It sits on the Nile, certainly. Uh, it has the, the largest amount um, by, by proportion of uh, remaining arable, cultivable arable land in the world. Uh, and so plenty of opportunity for Sudan to expand an already impressive uh, farming and livestock sector. Um, but at the end of the day, the link between the economy and, and politics is key. The game in so many ways for civilians during this transitional period has been to illustrate to Sudanese that they can do the job of reviving the economy and showing Sudanese that they can respond adequately to the concerns of Sudanese. Th- that is the job, to show them that civilians can do this job. But Jonas says the power structures built up over decades of civil war, strife, and military rule may favor the military at the end of the day. Large military companies hold key sectors of the economy and are incredibly influential in Sudan's economy and its own economic health. A key catalyst for the coup itself was concern from the military that the civilians were seeking to claw back those resources to bring those major companies into a place under the Ministry of Finance where the benefits of those companies would accrue to the population and not just a small military cabal. The escalating crisis comes as Sudan already grapples with many national security problems. It has a border dispute with its eastern neighbor, Ethiopia which is building a dam on the Nile that has sparked a regional diplomatic standoff. If Sudan begins to unravel, 
It risks leaving a vacuum for extremist groups such as Al-Qaeda, which has used the country as a base before. Sudan's proximity to the Horn of Africa, where Al-Qaeda allied terrorist group Al-Shabaab is powerful, is also a cause for concern. Unrest in Sudan also threatens to raise the prospect of an influx of refugees to regional transit points such as neighboring Egypt and Libya and eventually Europe. Just days before the October military takeover, U.S. envoy for the Horn of Africa, Jeffrey Feltman, visited Khartoum for the second time in a couple of weeks to voice the White House's commitment to support the civilian-led transition to democracy in Sudan. His sense of urgency was understandable. Many feared that just one spark could trigger a full-blown conflict given the tension between the civilian and military factions, with consequences that would likely extend far beyond Sudan's borders. With the military taking power, Jonas Horner hopes there is a viable route forward that avoids more violence. Key obstacles, though, to uh, bring getting to resolution or bringing Sudan back to a, a working transitional context are you know, concerns that... Oh, that the street has, that the military now uh, has shown its colors, that it is, it's simply an existential question for the military, that they will simply not allow or enable uh, elections or civilians to come into power. At present, there are a range of tracks of negotiation going on in Khartoum. Some of these are Sudan-Sudan tracks, and, and some of them also feature international actors who I think are going to be required as, to, as part of any accord that brings Sudan uh, beyond this coup. Indeed, on the 3rd of November, a senior advisor to Hamdouk told us that he had agreed to return as prime minister of a technocratic administration if political prisoners are released and the military reinstates the suspended articles of the Constitution Declaration agreed as part of the transition. Why the U-turn? The exact reasons remain to be seen. But the military is facing mass protests in the streets, and a general strike. There is outrage from the international community that has cut aid and suspended cooperation. And all of this while they still face a dire economic situation. There may simply have been no other viable route forward. General Al-Burhan has told the country that he wants a non-political civilian government of experts to continue the transition but under the final say of the military. Exactly what the next administration looks like, whether Hamdouk will indeed lead it, and if that will at all ease anger on the streets, remains to be seen. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Ahmed Maher. To get all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines, click on the subscribe button on your podcast app. This week's episode was produced by Nadal Tahir, Aisha Khan, and Arthur Edison. <laughs>